I'm Marcus Brown. This is a Runner's Life podcast. This is a platform for richer conversations that explore the person behind the runner. I discuss the topics that influence us as runners locally, whilst concurrently connecting us to the wider global community. If you found value in the show, please subscribe and share with your community on social media and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or the platform selected as it helps the podcast grow. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash a runner's life. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's head to the conversation. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to a runner's life podcast. How are you getting on? Hey, Marcus. I'm doing well. How are you? Good, thank you. It's great to have you on the podcast. I know we've got similar running journeys, which we'll get into uh, later in the podcast. But before we get into that, I want to go back to the very beginning. Um, you played a lot of soccer, obviously in the UK, we say football, um, from you know uh, an early age, I think it was about four, up into college. Um, yeah. So I can imagine it taught you a lot about structure, discipline, winning, losing, etc. I mean, what sort of lessons do you, th- you take from that time that you played soccer into your running now? Yeah, soccer was a huge part of my life. And I think the biggest thing that I missed about soccer after it was over after college um, was the team aspect of it. And I think in running, that's definitely been found through the Instagram community, um, just through the running community and local running groups, which I've really loved being a part of and also creating my own team of athletes through my coaching and having that support of people who believe in you um, and people to lean on. Um, But definitely taught me a lot about hard work ethic and um, just sticking to your goals and knowing that it's okay sometimes to not hit your goal. Yeah. I mean, the USA uh, women's team is, you know, the best team in the world. I mean, like the standard of football out there, uh, soccer, sorry, is absolutely, you know, amazing. I mean, when you sort of think of the men's side, I mean, you probably think like the top teams would be obviously in Europe, but, you know, in the female arena, you know, USA are just absolutely killing it. Um, you've got some great players there. And so I can imagine the standard was pretty high when you're, you're playing it. Yes. I remember watching the World Cup when um, the women won, was that 94, I think, and Brandy Chastain tore her shirt off and at the end of their um, shootout. And it was just an incredible moment. Um, and I think I was nine or 10 at the time. So just amazing to see uh, women achieve something like that and to see how successful they've been since then has been pretty incredible. Yeah. And what position did you play? I played defense. Uh, so I was an, a right wing back. I've been out of soccer for so long. I can't, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I was a, a right defensive back. So Okay. Is it more like the traditional sort of right back in terms of like, you know, they didn't go forward, but was it like the, the new sort of right wing back where they're kind of like up and down? There's like a, almost like a full swinger, but still defending. I did do a lot of offense too. So I think it was probably more like the new where I was running up and down the field. So you had to be in really good shape to play that position. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was before you could sort of say like, you know, I'm a defender, that's where I'm staying. But now it's just like, no, you've got to defend and you've got to be part of the attack as well. So uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's a it's a very tough position to play. Um, in previous podcasts, I know I've talked to other athletes about, you know, the moment they realised that they needed to combine talent and hard work together. And the general consensus is that, you know, talent probably stops as a junior and then hard work is something that you g- gain more, I think, later in your career. But 
for both of us, I mean, we didn't run as as juniors. Uh, we started more, you know, as adults. Uh, so as a coach who, you know, coaches other adult runners as well, I mean, what sort of fundamentals do you advise runners who started running as adults to bear in mind? Yeah, especially related to hard work. I think um, the biggest thing to focus on is consistency. I've found that that is the number one thing that that keeps you focused, but also allows you to, in the times where you're not as motivated, um, to still benefit from the work that you're putting in by remaining consistent. So consistency is what I really um, try to instill in my athletes. and and it's not necessarily about it always feeling amazing or being the best run ever, but it's just about showing up on the day and doing what you can. Um, so sometimes that's quitting on the workout and just running easy, but um, doing what you can with the day um, is, is the biggest thing that I try to, to share with my athletes. I agree. I think consistency is a, a, an important factor. And something my coach said to me when I first joined him was just to take, you know, a several year view. Um, which I think really helped me to, you know, put things into context in terms of, you know, a bad run doesn't mean you're a bad runner. You know, a bad week doesn't mean you're a bad runner. You know, uh, we have these sort of ups and downs. And like you say, like whether you might need to, you know, come off a workout and just do an easy run or just stop it altogether. Um, you know, as long as you're consistent, I mean, that's that's the most important thing. Yeah, and I think that's probably most important when it comes to racing because you can have quite a few bad races, um, but great workouts, uh, during your training. And so trying not to let those races really define your trajectory or, um, make you want to quit, um, which I've, I've, I know I've suffered after hard races, getting over them and I'm sure everybody has, but I think it's staying committed even through those rougher patches where you're not seeing the results that you maybe are being proven in your training um to really stick with it in practice obviously it's easy to sort of you know say it, but you know in reality it's not always so easy to do I mean can you sort of go through any kind of uh, challenging moments that you've come through in racing or training and like how you've been able to sort of put it into context and move forward yes um I had several marathons um which at the time I realized this was because I was overtraining and running them a little too close together and my body was not responding. But I ran three marathons back to back where I ran a 325 or 326. And I told myself if I ran one more, I would not, uh, I would give up on marathons. And I know deep down, I probably wasn't going to do that even if I did run another 326. But it was it was really trying to take a step back and figure out what was I doing wrong um, or what was my body not responding to uh, that I was doing and how can I correct it? Um, And I also wouldn't say they were complete failures because I I learned a lot uh, through all of them Uh, and kind of looking at running and racing in that lens of this is a learning opportunity has helped me tremendously. So This past year, also, I decided to run Boston in 2019 before my first sub three attempt at grandma's a couple months later. I think it was about eight weeks later. And that was a poor decision uh, of mine because I know from previous that running marathons close together doesn't really work for my body. Um, But 
I also don't think I was ready to run a sub three either. So I think having previously been in that position where I had results that um, really wore me down mentally, being able to look at it through that lens of learning and what have I learned from this experience. And it told me the same thing it did a couple of years ago that I shouldn't run marathons very close together. Um, and that helped me to show up to the next training cycle was just having the perspective of it's okay to fail. Um, what can you learn from it? Yeah. I mean, I think with us runners, you know, there's a you know we say fail but you know there's a lot more disappointments than there are highs to be honest so uh but you know when it all comes together it doesn't make it all worthwhile so very true I agree that's, well that. that's what they say anyway so uh <laughs> <laughs> no, no I'm joking no it's true <laughs> uh you're a running coach and uh if someone was looking to join you uh just focusing on the marathon distance uh can you tell us what the core principles of your coaching and running philosophy Yes. Um, so all of our coaching is, is very individualized. So we have a lot of athletes who run a lot. So six days a week. And we also have a lot of athletes who don't run a lot. So three days a week. So my whole philosophy with running is that it is very much about the individual, what their body can sustain. Um, and really responding in a periodized fashion. So we really focus on three to four weeks of building at a time, having cutback weeks in there. Um, and I know a lot of coaches um, and really coaching philosophies have two speed workouts a week. And we, I have found most success with my athletes with one speed workout a week um, and kind of just trying to find the balance for the individual and helping them balance the running with their life um, because we have a lot of full-time working moms um, and dads and people who really have to balance their running and their goals with everything else they have going on in life. So we really do cater to the individual and what their needs are to make it best work for them. So whether it's cross training more than running um, and how to help them reach their goals through that process. And you mentioned, you know, new parents and or parents as well. And I think the challenge of being a parent is trying to train and get the adequate amount of sleep because, you know, you read in books, they say, you know, seven to eight hours and, you know, the pros have eight to 10 potentially, uh, you know, with naps as well. And you're thinking in reality, that's not always possible. When I'm looking at these sort of answers, I'm like, <laughs> this is not, you know, realistic. I mean, how do you sort of come across and sort of deal with that sort of challenge when sort of people... Uh, parents, uh, new parents, or, you know, parents of young kids sort of come to you? Yes. Um, this is where I think communication is just so important with coaches and athletes. And I do, all of our coaches on my team, we make ourselves available to our athletes um, via text, email, whatever method is easiest for them. So if they haven't gotten a lot of sleep, you probably shouldn't do the workout and um, your body is not probably going to benefit from that. So sleep is the most important thing. And I think it's just kind of being able to make that decision for yourself, but also having somebody to back up what you already know. Um, and that's where as a coach, I think knowing that it's okay to move the workout or to not do the workout because you haven't gotten the appropriate sleep. Um, so I think being as flexible as possible with your training, especially if you're a parent, is key to balance, but also keeping you happy and healthy. Yeah. Because like you say, I mean, when you think about the impact that having a workout does and then, you know, 
what the body requires to repair itself and if you're impeding the recovery it's going to take you longer to you know get back to a whatever a relatively normal state to run your easy runs uh, yes so like you said it, it kind of makes sense yeah just to kind of if your sleep has been impacted to kind of then maybe shift that along or just skip it or you know just amend it right yeah um so we talked about sleep as well and with covid happening there's so many and this i mean 2020 is just like the gift that keeps giving really there's so <laughs> many things that happen you know economically socially health wise um i mean what sort of challenges are your uh, athletes sort of facing uh, now and uh what sort of advice are you giving them that listeners can implement in their own running yeah so i think initially it was a lot of stress um on the body i know i was experiencing that as well so a lot of elevated heart rates and just not feeling the motivation um to go out and run not knowing what was going to happen to races and um i think once people got used to that they were looking for something to focus on and i think it's been a variety uh with my athletes in particular so uh for most of my marathoners we've taken the time to focus on the mile distance which during the summer months it's nicer to focus on shorter distances anyway so you don't have to log those 20 milers um in the heat um so i think they've had a really fun time doing the mile and um doing some faster speed workouts using um, different systems than what they're used to when they're training for a marathon. And some people have actually wanted to stick with marathon training and really just enjoy higher mileage. Um, So I've had a couple athletes who want to just run more. And I think now is the time to do that. If you, if you maybe have typically been a lower mileage runner and you want to see how your body responds to higher mileage. If you're able to get more sleep, if you're working from home, so you don't have to commute, I think taking that time now to maybe transition into more miles is a great idea. Um, but to really find something that works with your body and excites you, I think is the biggest thing. So, you know, I initially started doing the mile training, but I wasn't, um, really as excited about it as I wanted to be. So I kind of switched to easy miles and I haven't done a season of just easy miles in a really long time. So I've been enjoying the flexibility of just going out and running how I feel that day. Um, And that's also been a few of my athletes. So I think it's really about um, right now just doing what motivates you to keep showing up each day and doing the work, whether it's just easy miles or whether it's hard workouts and and what feels good for you. Um, But everybody's still been kind of staying in a season. And I think that's important is to realize like this is still a season um, of life that you can benefit from. So um, using it to your advantage, whatever that is for you at the moment. Yeah, because ultimately miles still count, whether you're like you're saying you're going for the speed or you're just maintaining and keeping that base. As long as you're doing something, it all it all counts. Yes, exactly. Um, so your first race was a half marathon. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your first race experience? Yes, that was so long ago. Oh my gosh, um, almost ten years ago, I think. And I actually followed a plan online, running four days a week. I had no idea how fast I was going. I kind of 
went out and I used map my run at the time to track how far I was going that day. And, um, it was a really nice experience training. I, I loved the training process and race day was really incredible. Um, I, felt great through mile 12. And I know going into usually a half marathon or a marathon, if you've never done it before, you usually only get up to 10 to 12 miles for the half or 20 to 22 for a full. And you're always wondering, am I going to make it that last mile? And um, the last mile, I actually got some severe GI distress and it was pretty terrible. (laughs) And that um, I was very grateful to be able to cross the finish line because I thought I was not going to make it. Um, but it was, it, it was actually a local half marathon. So it was all the routes that I did my training on was actually where the race was. So it just felt like I was going out on my daily run with hundreds of other people uh, that day. So it was pretty cool. Um, and I was hooked after that for sure. It was amazing. To be honest, I don't know many runners that haven't had some sort of GI issue <laughs> in a race or training run. <laughs> so we've all been there. I won't lower the tone too much, but uh, yeah, I think we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you. I mean, I'm sort of thinking, like, even with the that race going fairly well for you. I mean, do you think it was really due to just the the base that you built up from playing soccer? That's... I I think so. I. So after I stopped playing soccer in college, I had to find some way to just stay active. And so for about a year, I was going to the gym and just running three miles on the treadmill three times a week and doing some strength training. And so that was kind of a little base for me going into that half marathon training. And I actually trained for about five months for the half marathon because I wanted to be as prepared as possible. So I... I think I trained probably a lot longer than people normally train. I think normally a half marathon training cycle is 12 weeks um, when I think about the ones that I've seen online. So I, I definitely trained a lot longer and I think not running super hard or doing any speed workouts or anything like that. I just took everything, all of that endurance, I guess, that I had from soccer and used it in that, um, but also just running for my my only form of cardio for the years after soccer too I think helped a lot I mean you ran 145 for your first half which is pretty impressive um and I'm just sort of thinking for the first one was it mainly about trying to enjoy the experience or was it about you know just being you know goal focused and going for something because like you said you did sort of prepare for it um even indirectly potentially um, with that sort of mindset from probably from your soccer days? You know, I didn't even know that that was a good time when I finished. So I told people afterwards what I ran and they said, wow, that's a really good time. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Okay. Um, and so I had no goal. I really just wanted to finish. And I think my my mindset, which I think this has been my mindset about racing since I've started, has been I just want to finish uh, as fast as possible. And um, so that was really the mindset. It wasn't I, you know, like I said, I I didn't have a watch, so I never knew how fast I was going, um, and I didn't really have any idea about pacing. So it was it was pretty. I think that's where I got pretty hooked on it. Um, even though I didn't actually improve my half marathon time for many years after that, um, 
<laughs> it was it was interesting that I ran that time um, and I guess did that well. And then for many years, I didn't improve um, because I, I just didn't really, I didn't invest in a watch. Um, I really just thought running was fun endurance building, I guess, for, for a long time. So I, I kind of lacked the competition that I had from soccer and I didn't yeah. really take that into into it for a few years i think people can relate to that because when you get into running it's just about you know get a pair of shoes and just going for it i mean all the other stuff like the watches and you know, the bits of kit and your data you know you kind of get into that you know maybe not the first race potentially if you're starting it from, from as an adult for sure so i'm um, even though you sort of mentioned those couple of years where it was just you know you're still you know you know, training, uh, you know, taking care of yourself, but you're just experiencing the running. When did it sort of go from experiencing the run to actually, no, I think I could go a bit faster. When did it become a little bit more serious in terms of going for sometimes? So honestly, not until I started running marathons about five or six years ago. And that was actually when I first got a GPS watch. I got my first Garmin. Um, and I, again, followed a plan online. I actually ended up running, I think, 60 miles a week in my first marathon training, which is a lot. Um, but I think once you get your hands on the data and you see what you can do with that stuff, um, you have these metrics in place that you want to improve on. And while I had finish times, I didn't have daily data for my runs um, prior to that. So I didn't know anything about, you know, resting heart rate or what my heart rate should be on some of these runs. Um, I did like I, the pacing part. I have no idea what I was doing at all in training. And so once you have something that can kind of guide you like that, I think it becomes a little bit easier to to track your improvements and then also really cater your training a little bit more okay and what was your first marathon I actually picked probably the hardest marathon it was the big uh, there's quite a few hard marathons but the big sur marathon in California in northern California yeah yeah and it's very hilly and it's right on the Pacific Ocean um so you have a lot of headwind for a majority of the race um it was a pretty incredible experience but definitely a really hard first marathon. So uh, for that one, I had no time goals going into it. Um, you know, when you think about at the time, I think my PR for a half had been 145. So I thought, okay, let's double that. That's a 330. That would be awesome if I ran that time. But let's like add 20 minutes and because it's a super hard course. So maybe if I come in under four hours, I think that'll be a good time. Um, and it was probably the most humbling experience of my life that course is so tough go ahead I ended up running a 348 and I was so happy with that time I mean how was the last 10k for you because that's when they sort of say that's the one that the real marathon starts yes and so and and that's still a very hilly part of the race and you actually start I think coming into the town of Monterey and when you start to like see people um, like on the side of the road, because most of it, you're not near anybody. Um, it's like farmland and stuff like that. So when you 
come into the town, you start seeing people, you get really excited. And so I got super excited, um, but I also got really bad cramping <laughs> for the last, like, I think three miles. So I was in so much pain. Um, and when you're going up and down hills, I think, um, you know, when you're going downhill, it starts to hurt more because you're, you're, uh, your torso your kind of, of yeah, and your torso kind of lengthens, so your cramping yeah. in your side um, just gets worse. And so it was painful, very painful. Um, and that was the part I was worried the most about. I ended up going up to 22 miles in my long run um, leading up to the race, but I still was so worried about that. And it did prove to be the hardest 10K ever, <laughs> which I don't think I've had a good last 10K of a marathon yet. I'm still waiting for that to happen for me. <laughs> Do you feel like subconsciously that's something you carry into marathons that you run? Just like that last 10K is going to be a challenge. Yes. And I think part of that is probably, um, you know, I've only ever gone up to 23 miles in my training. And I think getting that long run a little bit higher for myself, which is actually why I did Boston last year leading up to grandma's. I used it as a training run just to feel more confident at the distance and, and, uh, and to get that mileage on my legs. And it didn't really make the last 10 K of my next marathon that much easier. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the math is a tough one because I feel like all the challenges that we sort of feel, you know, come out, the marathon so for example for me when I did Manchester last year um, I had food poisoning you know before the marathon and I was okay to run on the day um, and then I threw up at the finishing line <laughs> as I was about to cross the line um, and then it's funny I didn't think about it uh, throughout my training then I ran Berlin and I was thinking towards the end of it I was like don't be sick and I was like <gasps> where's this feeling come from so like I can understand like sometimes you get these real rational feelings that sort of come up um, and then after, you know, that happened, I was just like, you know, spent some time write, writing out, processing it. And thankfully, when I did New York, it didn't come come through. But like, it's, it's it's interesting how these these rational feelings do come out during a marathon. Totally. And I think sometimes not taking that time to process a marathon fully afterwards. And that's kind of where the learning process is really important is really thinking about what happened to you, why did it happen and taking it all in so that you don't carry that into the next marathon. Cause those fears are very real. And I do think that's hindered me a lot, um, in my racing. Yeah. It's, 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 it's something, you know, it's a difficult thing, but you know, like you said, like, I think just taking time to sort of process it is, is definitely important. Um, and I just want to go back to the Big Sur race because that's a race that I wanted to run actually because it's been it's in my bucket list. But like to be honest, you've not really sold it to me now after hearing <laughs> uphill headwinds. I was thinking picturesque, you know what I mean, <laughs> running along the Pacific Ocean, and now I'm like I'm not sure now. <laughs> no, I I it is the most beautiful race I've ever run, so I do highly recommend it. As somebody who was very, I think I think I was very still time oriented when I went into it without really fully acknowledging that I wanted to run under four hours. I had this fear that I wasn't going to for whatever reason and what that would mean, even though it means nothing. Um, and knowing that it was such a hard course, um, I felt like I kind of didn't get to experience it 
as much as I would have liked to if I had gone into it without a time goal and really just focusing on the experience of it. Um, but it's beautiful. So I highly recommend you do it if you have the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, once uh, lockdown is uh, over and uh, we can travel again, I yeah. would love to do it. So, uh, I mean, I've heard great things about it. Um, and just because it's got hills in it, I mean, that's not an excuse. I've run New York and stuff like that and Boston. So I can't use that as an excuse. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, talking of New York, you said on your Instagram post uh, previously that, you know, 2017 New York City Marathon was a breakthrough race for you. Can you talk us through why this was? Yes. Um, this was actually a, a transition I had made. So I had run my first Boston that spring before New York and getting into Boston and New York in the same year was um, something I sort of regretted because I knew both would be hard courses. They have later start times. So there's some factors working against you. Uh, you have that longer morning before um, the race. And I, my training leading up to Boston was fantastic and amazing. But again, I ran a 326 there. And I didn't really run that race very smart at all because it was really hot and I should have given up on my goal, but instead I went for it. Um, and so going into New York, I really wanted to train hard again. I love the training process. It's my favorite part. I love it more than racing probably, but um, I stopped listening to music during my build up to New York. And I think that helped me get so much more in tune with my body. Um, and I realized too, during the Boston race, I was listening to music and I didn't really allow the experience of that race in. And the crowds there are incredible, as you know. So um, they really do carry you through that race. And so I knew that the crowds at New York would just be amazing. And so I wanted to be comfortable not running with music and not having to rely on that and really being able to use the crowds to get me through. And I, um, my training went great. I knew the race would be hard. I, I trained on hills as much as possible, even though I don't live in a very hilly area. So it was, it was pretty challenging to incorporate those. Um, but I felt strong through mile 24, which has been, you know, a really, I've never made it that far in a race without hitting the wall. Um, and so I think it was a factor of fueling and perfecting that in my training being more in tune with my body and pacing myself really well um, and letting the experience of the race um, kind of fuel me. So as you know, that race is incredible and you don't need music and um, it's just an amazing experience. So it felt like a physical breakthrough in my, uh, my training and, and my racing mentality. Um, but it was also just the experience of that race that, that was incredible. And you talked about fueling there and it made me think, you know, that's such a, a difficult area for a lot of runners because when you think about it, I mean, we're not really designed to be running quickly or moving quickly and digesting whatever. So it's always quite a, a challenging moment. And I mean, how do you sort of, what works for you? I mean, in terms of fueling now? Yeah, that, I feel like every training cycle it changes a little bit and I think that's definitely what's an important part of training is figuring out what's going to work for you and going through some of those tougher runs where you don't feel great to make sure that what you're feeling with is right for you um <clears throat> I've always found great success in switching up my gels so having 
gels that have two different types of sugars in them. Um, it, it doesn't overload my uh, system. And also just having gels that have a little bit different consistency. Because I think for me, the hardest part has been that gels are not very tasty. <laughs> um, they just taste gross and they stick in your mouth a lot. Um, yeah. And I also take a longer time to take gels, which I think is better for my body to take them over a longer period of time rather than shoving them all in in a couple seconds. Um, so I take gels that um, right now, currently, Huma and Spring are the ones that work really well for me. Um, and they're a little bit on the thinner side, so you don't necessarily need water right there. Um, so I can take them between the aid stations and stuff like that. And I think having that more prolonged time where I'm taking them has really been great. And also taking more, because I realized when I was um, first training, I only took maybe three gels for a marathon, and it just wasn't enough. Um, yeah. And that's why I was bonking so hard towards the end. Um, so having more fuel has been really key and just training my body to take more. Yeah, you're right about the taste because it does sometimes take the taste changes, whether it's a hot day or a cold day. And like, I'm the same as you, like I, I just sip my gel. So I take a Morton, mm -hmm. uh, but I just feel like it's just a, a constantly moving buffet. Basically you're constantly taking something from <laughs> yeah. zero to the end. And you just know, like, if you think, oh, I'll, I'll be fine and I won't take it. You just know, like, payback will come. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. so uh, I've learned my lesson. Yes. I've had many of those days where I'm like, I can't get this down. And then I still pay for it at the end. So, <laughs> yeah, like, I've got this. No, I really haven't anymore. <laughs> uh, we, we try. But um, it's, yeah, fueling is a hard thing to, to get right. And like you say, we're always just trying to perfect it. It's like, you know, the secret workout the magic workout that never yeah. exists <laughs> so, <laughs> um, what's your favorite part of the uh, New York City course oh, oh my gosh that's so hard um I loved Central Park um that was actually the first time though that I my husband and my parents came and they were they New York is incredible for spectators because you can use the subway system to get around um, and see your runner in so many spots. And they saw me probably three times before, but I actually saw them in Central Park. And that was where I was starting to break down uh, around mile 24. But when you turn that corner into the finish, it's just incredible. So I loved that part, um, the Central Park. I don't know. There's so many, there's so many great parts to it. The, the crowds are so incredible throughout, but I, I really love Central Park. Yeah, Central Park is amazing. And they did something recently. I think last year I ran it where they put like a board up there, like a virtual board. And as you went past it, like um, it recognized your bib number somehow and like messages that people from like family or whatever could post and you'd see it on the board. Uh, so oh that was gosh. a real cool touch, really. That's awesome. Um, um, I, I spoke to some people about it, but, you know, some obviously going for times so that didn't even see it. <laughs> so, <laughs> they missed like, well, it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, what does that say about me then? I was just stopping looking at it. <laughs> so, uh, no, but no, I think it's an incredible experience. And if anyone gets the opportunity to run it, um, please do it. But obviously not this year, because obviously the time of this uh, podcast, it's been postponed yeah. until next year. I mean, that's going to be an interesting thing, because I sort of think, you know, when I think about London Marathon or think about New York City or even any of the US marathons, um, you just think it wouldn't really be the same without the crowd. Um, if New York returned in a different form, you know, you know, less people, I, I always sort of think, I mean, would 
the communities welcome the runners. And if, you know, they weren't as they were at the years previously, it'd be such a different experience, do you think? Completely, yeah. I think it would it would not be the same at all. And and I think that's really what makes those races so incredible is that the entire city comes out for them. And I think not having crowds wouldn't it would not be the same. And that's why you want to do those races is because the crowds are just so incredible and the city just opens up for the runners and to not have that, I think would be, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And you've also spoken about running Boston as well. Uh, Can you sort of tell us about your favorite Boston highlights? Yes. My first Boston uh, experience was pretty terrible. Um, So I thought I would never go back. Um, I just had a terrible race and I kind of, because it was so warm that day, I actually blacked out a little bit in the last four miles um, of the race and running with music that first time really didn't allow me to experience the crowds in the city and, and all that stuff. And I ran it this past year with the goal to really just enjoy the crowd and, um, and the experience so I could really revisit it, especially because having, I think having a, a bad taste in your mouth after a race like that, and then trying to help people qualify or coach people for that becomes a little bit challenging. Cause you're like, why do you want to run that race? It's so, it's just not a good, you know, it's not as good as people say it is, but it really is. Um, it's just the experience that first time was so hard for me that I had this really bad association with it. So I wanted to go back have a good experience. And I got that. And I ran without music again. um, And the crowds there are just as incredible. I mean, crowds really make a race. And I, I always, um, I I think I ran Chicago, Boston, and New York um, all in a row. Um, And so going to a smaller race after that was very challenging. And it made me realize just how amazing the crowds were at those races. Um, But I loved, I finished Boston in 2019 um, and I finished next to this girl who had just run a sub three and she was in the second wave. So she finished around with me because I, I ran a 318 and it was incredible to just celebrate with her because she had achieved her goal and she was so excited about it. And I love the camaraderie at those larger races. Um, I mean, it's at every race, right? But the larger races, everybody just um is so welcoming and and it's just an enjoyable experience having that experience with other runners too um so I got to celebrate with her and that was pretty awesome (laughs) yeah I mean I think with Patriots Day you know makes it especially for the crowds and you just feel like everyone is behind you when you're running it I mean I ran it in 2018 so I can partly kind of relate to what you're sort of saying having that sort of funny taste (laughs) because I feel like I've got a lay down some demons when I go back (laughs) (laughs) it's like I've got the qualifying time but I can't run it yet so it's just like okay we'll wait until it does resume whenever that will be yes yeah it's it's kind of weird to have such a and but when I think back like every Boston has a very unique weather situation right it's always weird so I don't know it's it's really a mindset yeah Yeah. you had like it was hot and then it was cold and it was hot it was just like crazy yeah so don't go when I go because whenever I go it's hot so (laughs) (laughs) okay Okay. uh I've had uh, other people sort of say that there's some sort of like omen for weather but I mean it is what it is 
and it's, just, and it's, it's us runners we agree to do it I mean like for like for me for 2018 I mean you, obviously the weather changed towards the end but then you knew what the weather was going to be I mean I still had an option to run it I could have been like nah yes. <laughs> a sensible person would be like no <laughs> I'll stay in my warm hotel room yeah <laughs> I was like no I'll run a marathon in, in hypothermic weather it's that's like a good idea <laughs> yeah so that had to be such an interest how, so how did your body respond to that uh I mean pre-race I basically got a bit of paper down and I wrote down like how all the things that could go wrong because I knew it was gonna be bad um uh, so I had to basically get the excuses out before um and I basically wrote a plan of what I could uh do obviously you know not all plans have answers for and some things will sort of hit, hit you from like the left side or whatever um and you just got to deal with it on the fly but um I felt pretty prepared going into it like I was mentally prepared but you know the bus ride there was you know interesting because it's you know you're in cold buses and so I had to you know, like change my attitude and you know be quite jokey with people around me so I didn't get too down about it um and then when you get to you know Hopkinton it was just the rain was just chucking it down it was so cold and also you're standing there so you're getting even colder um and once it started um I felt <laughs> it sounds weird it's like just get back to your hotel room as quickly as possible that's all I was thinking <laughs> um so I wasn't really experiencing the race as much I mean you, know, you go past like uh, the crowds and things like that but even though when I got to Heartbreak Hill I didn't even realize I'd got over Heartbreak Hill until I saw the sign um because I was literally just thinking one foot in front of the other um and then I got to the end and I was just oh my gosh it was so cold it was so cold it's just yeah. like you know you just start your, your teeth start chattering and you start shaking um and yeah it was it was, it was a tough it was, it was a tough way to get back home but um once you you get through it, you're just like wow like I survived and it, it gives you an amazing sense of achievement and strength that you never felt do you know I mean you you always sometimes you can be looking at externally for things but you know you do things like this and it's a good thing about the marathon it kind of reminds everyone that does it how strong they are I completely agree. Yeah, that had to be a crazy experience. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't advise anyone to do that just to find that. <laughs> you know, for me, it was an interesting, interesting moment. Um, and we've got similar running goals in a minute. I mean, we are looking to run marathons starting with a two, two hours something. Um, can you talk, tell us about your last attempt at CIM? Yes. Um I felt so ready to run probably a 255 or 256. Um, I had recently run a 124 half and my training had just been incredible. I had never felt that good. I had done some blood work during the training that helped me to figure out some of the deficiencies I had. Um, I was B12 deficient, which was accounting for a lot of fatigue that I had in previous cycles. And so correcting that made the cycle just so much better. Um, and so going into CIM, I was feeling really confident and prepared. Um, but the humidity that day was about 100%. And that was fine because I, you know, I, I live very close to the beach. So we usually have high humidity here. Um, but I picked CIM primarily for its cooler weather during that time of year. I just don't do very well in hot weather and I didn't want to have to make the decision to surrender that goal. So knowing that the humidity was a little bit warmer um, was tough, uh, but I stuck with the goal and I ran through mile 20 or 21 
on pace. And I started getting these cramps in um, my quads. And this also happened to me at grandma's a lot earlier, though, around mile 16. And it's, it's, I think, uh, more of a strength issue that I maybe didn't spend as much time focusing on. But I mentally tried to stay with the three-hour group who came up on me probably around mile 23. And as they passed me, I remember thinking, just like, hold on to this group, Jessica, just do not lose them. And um, they started to go away from me. And whenever a pace group goes away from you, it's really, really hard to um, move forward. I think that's probably always been whenever I've run with a pace group, it's just been really hard when they leave you. Um, but there were so many other women that day also who were trying to break three and, um, they were also like encouraging everybody around them. And we were sharing water cups. We were, um, you know, trying to bring women with us when we were going. And this woman who came up on me at mile 21 asked me to come with her. And I, that was right when I started cramping and I said, I want to so bad, but I can't. Um, so there were some really great moments like that in the race. Um, but towards the end, when I, I felt like I couldn't get my body to cooperate anymore, I, this is where I think it's a mental and physical thing. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to work through that still, but I kept thinking, you know, my husband's still going to love me if I don't run a sub three, it's going to be fine. My parents are still going to love me. Does this really matter? And that's where I think I really struggle, um, with surrendering my goals. Um, and I thought I would had moved past that cause I, I, I have done that in other races. Um, and I shared actually quite a bit about my training in a YouTube series I put together. And I, I thought all these people are going to be so disappointed in me, but my husband's still going to love me. So this is fine. Like nobody really cares what I do today. And I think having those conversations in my head in those last couple of miles allowed me to give up even more. Um, and so I was, I was pretty disappointed immediately after the race. And, and I knew it, like mentally and physically, I had to work through a couple things. One was, why do my quads keep cramping? Am I too weak? Um, do I need to do more strength work? Stuff like that. Um, and mentally, why do I always like revert to this thing where like my goals don't matter anymore? Um, where like, this isn't important to me. Like I've given up so much for this. And all of a sudden in the last three miles, it's, it's not important. Um, so that that's been kind of hard for me, especially not having another marathon to really work on that stuff or another really focused training cycle right now to work through that um, has been hard. Listening to what you're saying, I mean, so many people can relate to it because, you know, the demons really come out in the last 10K and it's not something you can really prepare for even in your training. Um, you know, you might go up to 20 plus miles, but it's just that last 10 K it's where it really, things start really getting real. And that like you talked about, you know, you know, the pace group goes, or, you know, you're thinking about your legs and you're just thinking the chat can get quite negative and just taking that on board. I mean, I have a similar type of thing as well. In New York, I have got some things which I think about as well, but I'll, I'll, this is about you, not about me. Um, I was just thinking like with all those sort of things happening, in your mind and when you sort of finish the race i mean how do you sort of process how you're gonna 
approach those things, those voices, those negative voices, when races do resume? Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of, it's that's been the hardest thing to figure out is when is the next time I'm going to be able to run a marathon and work on these things because every day I make it clear that this is important to me when I go out and I train. Um, I make the decisions to eat what's right for my body to make my running feel better. I focus on my hydration. Like all those decisions are decisions I make because this goal is important to me. So why do I discount it? And trying to work through that has, um, I've been considering actually seeing a sports psychologist because I think mentally it's something I probably can't work through on my own anymore. Um, and I probably need better tools to do that because it really only happens in those last three to four miles. And when do you get to that in training? Um, you know, I'm not doing 27 or 28 mile runs in training to work through that mental stuff. Um, so I haven't quite figured it out yet, to be honest. Have you um, kind of taken the opportunity to work through any of that stuff if you've had those similar thoughts? Yeah, so I work with a guy called Duncan Foster, uh, DSF uh, Coaching, and we one of the things that we work through, which may be applicable to what you're doing, um, I'm not sure, um, was for a week he basically got me to week of training just come back and write down the thoughts that I was feeling um on a scale of like 10 like good neutral and bad um and one I'd see patterns emerging um and then you could sort of I think okay well I can sort of address that differently but it basically gave me a lot of confidence towards the end because you always knew that whatever came up you could kind of try to address at the time whereas before I felt like I didn't have the answer at the time and that was, I mean, a bit overwhelming. Whereas towards the end, you're like, well, things will go wrong, but at least I can try. I can try this. I can try that. And it wasn't as bad as, as before. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. Um, his name is Duncan Foster. Yeah, I'll put. Okay. I'll, I'll I'll send you um, his details. Obviously, um, obviously after the, after the interview as well. Yeah, that would be great. Um, but yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think seeing the patterns you know, that's probably something I'm not doing. I, I journal a lot about my runs, but maybe not enough on the mental side of things to see what those patterns are for myself. Yeah. Um, I, I think ultimately, like you've got to do the work like you're doing and what we're doing as well in terms of like doing the training, but these lot, last little bits are like the last few percent, I think like if you, if you're not doing the work, then all the mental stuff is not going to help you. Yes. Completely. So it's, like, it's a bit of both, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, I know you had some questions for me about um, the sub three attempt as well. Yes. Um, so one of my biggest questions has been, because I know you ran Berlin and New York, um, and you ran very close to three hours at both of those. And yeah. those are super close together. I've never been very successful at running marathons close together so I wanted to kind of hear more about your recovery process or your transition process between the two races okay so in an ideal world I'd run two marathons per year you know one in the spring one in the fall um but I got the opportunity to run New York and you know you don't turn that down so that was quite close to Berlin and obviously my coach was ecstatic about that <laughs> so <laughs> um 
I, I ran the first marathon in the first part of the year. Like I said, I got food poisoning and uh, ran the race, did okay, got a PB at the time. And then through the summer, I basically had um, some health concerns, which basically threw everything off, off, off the scale type thing. Um, and that basically impacted just the way I approached my running. And I didn't, I did the, all the easy runs, but I didn't do the workouts as, to the, the ability I could do because my mind was, wasn't there, but I was still running. Uh, so when I got to Berlin, I just wasn't, because I didn't hit a lot of the workout paces, I was behind. And do you know when you're behind in your workouts, it's, it's hard to catch up because you can't really keep building. Um, so ironically, once I got past Berlin, it was a bit of like, I'm not sure it was like a shot in the arm type thing because it gave me a lot of confidence because I was like, I shouldn't have run 301 based on the time that I, based on the workouts I did. So I was just like, okay, cool. So um, they gave me like a lot of confidence um, that obviously all the training I did, you know, had a, had a big impact. And the way that my coach and I looked at it was just like, just imagine that Berlin was a uh, a training run like a mid 20 plus miles um, and we'll just bolt that on to New York. So what I ended up doing was I had like four days off and then I was after Berlin and then I returned to this easy running, I think like half an hour and I want a half an hour a day. Then the week after I started getting back into running six, seven days a week. And then I kind of just went straight back into like the long runs. So it almost became, like I said, like a training run for uh, New York. Um, And then I think I, uh, started then I was hitting my workouts after Berlin and I was I think I just peaked probably at the right time for for New York I think if I had that peak at New York at Berlin I would have run you know subfield or run a lot faster but um you know ifs and buts and you know it's the past Mm -hmm. but uh, in an ideal world I would run two per year and I would I ideally have two weeks off post-marathon just to have a, a break um mentally and physically um, it's just that this particular race for Berlin happened to, you know, be almost like a, a part of the training. Well, it's incredible. Um, so I, I'm always interested in people's recovery and how quickly they can recover. Um, but that is really interesting how you're able to continue to build on that training um, so successfully. Yeah, I think basically I, I got an all clear as well towards the end. And I think that basically helped with the mindset I think once you feel you know stress you know is a big thing you know once you remove that you know those sort of anxieties uh your running does sort of pick up but when you've got other things going on in your life it's it's hard to kind of you know when you're doing your workouts to to be in that place which is uncomfortable because you just you're you're ready there in other areas of your life so that's the last place you want to be especially running completely yeah could not agree more I think, yeah, once you're in a good place and it, it, it all kind of flows a bit better. But like we said, like the marathon, the thing I've learned about a marathon is that like you could do all the work, but it doesn't owe you anything. And I've got better at accepting that. And I just know that every time I go into a race, yes, I might put the work in, but I don't deserve it. And I know that at some point it will challenge me. And at some point I will have to answer back. And, you know, you just don't know what that question is going to be. You don't know how you're going to respond back. But I always just try like from the work I've done with, with uh, Duncan to know that, there's always an option. There's always an option. Yeah, that's that's a, a great mindset to have. I think. I but I I also think I know that applies very much to the marathon um, because it is a distance that so much can happen over. 
I feel like it applies to racing in general too. Um, Cause I know people can really do so well in their training and race day just doesn't go their way. Um, whether that's a 10 K or a half marathon um, or the marathon, usually the marathon though. <laughs> yeah. The marathon is a tough one because you probably only get a couple of times during the year where you can peak to do it just well. Whereas like at least for the five or 10 K, you know, you can recover fairly quickly and then go at it again, go hard at it again. Yeah. Um, and that's with the marathon, I guess, you know, that's what makes it quite painful as a runner to think, oh, that's that point of the year. Now I need another six months <laughs> to, yeah. to, to go to out again. <laughs> to, take it, to take another shot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you're looking back at your training diary, you're like, man, I've got to do that all again. <laughs> <laughs> but, but with more with more passion. Than yeah. Runner, so, uh, what do I need to tweak this time? Yeah, it, it feels like a, a constant series of tweaking, doesn't it, to be honest, to that sort of perfection. Yeah, it's a puzzle oh, for perfect. sure. Yeah, I mean, perfect doesn't exist, but yeah, I think a puzzle is probably the better way of sort of saying it. I mean, for me, I'm sort of targeting London, which was postponed until October, and I'm training as it's, as if it's going to happen. At the time of recording this podcast, um, it's still on, uh, but you just don't know. I mean, what was your uh, next... Uh, sub three race or what races are you looking at? So I actually signed up for CIM again in December. Um, and I am hopeful that it's far enough out. Um, but it gives me some of this time to really find some motivation again. Um, like I said, I've really been running easy and kind of taking it on the base. I'm, I'm really just focusing on base building at the moment with the warmer weather and stuff. And CIM is nice. I won't, really start training until September um, in that buildup. And I think by then we'll maybe have a better idea of whether or not it could potentially happen. Um, either way, I'd love to focus on building up mileage in the fall and just having a, a good mileage building block during that time. So hopefully that will end in a race at CIM, but uh, if not, we'll use it somewhere else. <laughs> Yeah, I think we're all in that dilemma, aren't we? We're just planning for something which may or may not happen. So uh, but all we can do is just keep building. Yeah, and I think I think just having a date on the calendar, whether it's a real race or just a virtual race that you're setting up for yourself, um, I think it's good right now to just have those dates to work towards to keep ourselves focused. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in your Instagram post, the thing I like about you is that you're quite honest. Uh, I know we had a bit of a banter before about the GI issues, which I think everyone's gone through. Uh, but <laughs> you've also <laughs> spoken quite seriously about some other issues, you know, uh, particularly the pressure on female athletes regarding starting a family. And you wrote a, a great blog, which I mean, I'd, I'd advise other people to read, uh, where you were quite open and you prompted, uh, you know, just to talk about it. I mean, what sort of I mean, what sort of prompted you to share this and uh, what has the response been to uh, people reading it? Yeah, so uh, to be honest, I really was hoping to run a, three, a sub three at CIM so that my husband and I could then focus on starting a family. I have this, uh, it's, it's probably, it's an internal fear that I carry that my body will not be able to come back to marathoning after I have a child. Um, and every, every woman's body is so different, uh, how it responds to pregnancy and our ability to come back to sport afterwards. And I don't want to leave anything on the table or have any regrets. And my really 
only goal that would allow me, I think, to successfully walk away from the marathon distance forever would be to run a sub three. And so when the pandemic happened, I, um, as it sort of developed, not knowing when races would come back, um, you know, I'm 35, so I'm at an age where I should really start considering when to have, you know, now is kind of the time. Um, I want to have a safe pregnancy if we do. And so I was really torn between do I wait and not knowing races might not come back for another year and a half, um, maybe longer. Do I put my dream of having a family on hold for this dream of running and which one is more important? <laughs> um, and it felt like um, they were both equally important to me. And at some points I felt a little bitter about the fact that I had to be the one to have the child, um, to sacrifice these running goals, um, and being, I think, stuck on this timeline, um, not knowing if I wait longer, will I risk having, not being able to have a child, um, and will that have been worth it? And what's the regret associated with either of them? Um, you know, if I have a baby and when racing comes back, I, I'm never able to get back to where I was. Will I have some sort of regret or feelings towards my child because of that? Um, will I feel like my dreams are... And, and it's very similar, I think, to... And I think I said this in the blog post, but women who sacrifice their careers to have a family. Um, and the general response to the post was very positive, And a lot of women reached out to me saying that they felt very similarly, um, whether it had been in their career um, or any other decisions that they had to make in their life to sacrifice to have um, children. And it was incredible, the overwhelming response I actually got specifically related to the athletic goals from amateur athletes like me. Um, and knowing that nobody really cares if I run a sub three except for me and what that accomplishment means to me is extremely important, obviously, because I am considering putting off having a child for it. And it, it, so, so it's been, it's been good to, to know that there are other women out there who feel the same as I do, um, that it's not just women who do this for their career, who have to think about sacrificing a paycheck to have a child. Um, it's women who have to sacrifice their bodies um, and might not be able to do what they love doing anymore. Yeah, it's been really powerful listening to um, express it more about and give life to the, the uh, blog and I advise people to read it. And um, it's when I was listening to it, I was just like, you know, it's, it's very difficult. It's just so many options. It's just not easy. So yeah, thank you for being so honest and obviously sharing the story. And hopefully, you know, it resonates with, with other women who are going through this sort of same experience. Yeah, I, I do too. And I hope, um, to be honest, I just hope that women don't feel bad that they have these athletic goals, even if they are amateur athletes that they want to go after before they have kids. Um, and making some decisions around that um, is okay. I'm sort of trying to do my typical like, not male thing of not trying to respond back with a solution. <laughs> just like, listen, and be like, yeah, I, I've heard what you said. And I'll just leave it, leave it there. <laughs> you did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, jokes aside, I mean, it's such a, yeah, thank you for being so honest and open about it because, I mean, there's so many layers to that. And, you know, 
it's not an easy decision to make and uh i think it'll help a lot of people you know a lot of women uh going through the same sort of situation and i think being able just to talk things through with other people you know obviously offline as well it really does help because a lot of people feel like they are in that situation alone which is which is it wasn't a nice thing yeah definitely and i think that's why i felt the need to share it too because i knew there there had to be at least one other person one other woman out there who felt the way i did and there were a lot <laughs> yeah yeah um and also another sort of serious topic we're going to move on to as well. Um, I know you touched upon about uh, re- about when you run, you don't run with music. And there is a, a reason for that. Can you sort of explain uh, why that is? Yes. Um, a couple years ago, I was running on the beach path, which is uh, where I frequently run. There's usually quite a few people out there, but it was during the winter. So it was early in the evening around 530 or 6. Uh, but it was dark. And at the time I had taken to running with one headphone in and one headphone out. um, So I could hear if other people were coming up on me or if there was any danger, but a cyclist came up uh, behind me and I didn't hear him and he assaulted me and it threw me for a loop. I was devastated. I felt violated obviously. And it was just an awful experience. And I, it ruined my running for quite a few weeks after that. Um, I didn't feel safe going out in my neighborhood where I had been running for years. Um, and it took a lot for me to not run with music though, because I felt, um, like that really fueled my running. It helped keep me motivated. It distracted me and, um, it got me through a lot of runs but knowing that I could be at risk for something like that to happen again, um, I decided to stop running with music, that it wasn't worth it to have that kind of distraction if I was going to be risking my safety. And it's actually proven to help me quite a few more times when uh, something else like that has almost happened. Um, and it's gotten me out of situations because I've been aware of my surroundings um, with the mu- without the music. Um, But aside from the safety factor, it's also just allowed me to get more in tune with my body. And I think it's helped me become a better runner. So I do try to encourage um, my athletes to not run with music for that factor alone, but more importantly for the safety factor of you have to be aware of your surroundings um, and it can save your life. What measures do you take now to stay safe on the run? Um, so I always run with pepper spray, um, when it's dark. So I, I was frequently running at like four 30 in the morning before, um, I started working from home. So that early hour I was running with pepper spray. I, I also have this thing, it's called a go guarded and it's like a little ring that you put on your finger and it has, um, a sharp pointy tip that can grab DNA. If somebody actually comes that close to you and, um, attacks you. Um, so I usually run with those when it's dark because I run in a really populated area. If I run during the day or when it's light out, um, I, I don't usually take those things with me because I don't have the music either. And I'm usually running around neighborhoods and stuff where there's people and, um, on paths where there's lots of cyclists and walkers and stuff. Um, but if I'm ever running in the dark or in a place that I'm not familiar with, I always take those two things with me. Okay. Um, and you talked about when you're running, you know, 
without music, it gives you time to kind of just be in a moment and just, uh, I think it's in a way it's a good thing. But um, I mean, what are you sort of thinking about? I mean, what are you sort of thinking about when you're running? Yeah, I, I get that question a lot, I think, especially because people wonder how I do that for like 20 mile long runs um, with no music. And I, I usually think a lot about running, um, what my body's doing, but I also just think about like I plan things usually, I'll plan my week or what I need to do, or I'll think about um, emails that I have to get back to. So I do spend a lot of time thinking about just general stuff um, that's going on or planning what I what I need to do or what I want to do. Um, but I spend a lot of time thinking about running, like what I want out of this workout or getting more mentally, especially on longer runs, like being mentally focused in the run or like working through whatever issue I'm feeling at the moment with my body um, or trying to pay attention to something else. So I ignore the pain that's happening. Um, so I, I really see it as a time for me to work on the mental side of training too um, yeah, and yeah. being more focused on what I'm actually doing and trying to achieve. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I mean, I think when I'm, you know, running like races and things like that and someone says to me like what do you think about I probably couldn't tell you that much because it's it's not a lot it's even just the same sort of thing over and over repeated like yeah. you're saying you're focusing on the run it's really not that exciting so if you were to write a book about it, it would be very short yeah <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> there's um, not a lot going on but there's something <laughs> just don't know what <laughs> yeah there is stuff going on but like I think it depends I was like I think for the easy runs like you say you it's probably time for you to process things and be like yeah we'll do this during the day i'm gonna get back to this email but when you're like racing or you're like doing an interval session there's no time to be like oh you know what i think it should have this for dinner maybe i should call we should get a takeout i mean like none of that's happening no. you just like get no through way. this session <laughs> <laughs> like just make it through this interval you have yeah, a recovery like, period coming up yeah totally exactly it's like oh my god i didn't die <laughs> <probably> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> It's like having more reps, yeah. Um, <laughs> and when we run, I mean, it could be for different reasons. It could be for freedom. It could be for challenges. Uh, I mean, there's intrinsic, external reasons why we do it. Um, and I think, you know, in these moments of training and racing, we are, you know, asking questions of ourselves. In some ways, I feel like the more we race, the more we do it. We're actually stripping away the unessential things um, and working towards, like, who we are. Um, I mean, what sort of questions does running make you ask of yourself? Oh, yes. I think I constantly ask myself why I do this, <laughs> especially for marathons, I think, right? Like, that's the most, like, why do you put yourself through this much pain? And I think um, it's really just like this idea of, like, what's my real potential? Like, what, how fast can I be? Or how much stronger can I get? And I think what running does for me is it really does make me feel strong and powerful. And even in my weakest moments in a marathon, I still feel like I'm accomplishing something. And that's what I think that's definitely why I keep coming back to it. It's like unfinished business all the time. Like what else can I do with this, um, with this puzzle? <laughs> It's like, yeah, you go through those tough moments, but then you come through it and you reveal like another bit of your best self. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it would be nice, obviously, if it was there in like more comfortable times, but it's always <laughs> the other way. Um, 
which is just the way it is, unfortunately. And uh, what's your favorite running memory? Oh, that's so hard. Um, I have so many good ones. But I think probably this last year being at Boston, I had 10 athletes who ran the race. And I think eight of them, it was their first time running. And I think being there with them when they finished and being able to hug them, whether they were happy or disappointed, was incredible. Um, and so that's probably got to be my favorite. That almost goes back to the team aspect for you playing yeah. soccer. Yes, come full circle. <laughs> but, but I think it does show that, especially with running, though, is the community as much as we run solo. You know, you said we cross the line with people, you know, you're coaching people. Ultimately, you know, we're doing it for ourselves, but it's better shared with other people. Yes, I, I completely agree. And I think that has been, you know, like I said, I started that YouTube series, The Journey to Sub 3, that I talked about my Sub 3 journey through CIM last year. And it was just incredible to see how many people were connected to that and wanted to be a part of that journey. And so that's been really cool. And I think that's what I love so much about the Instagram community too, is just being able to see other people succeed from afar and hoping to meet them someday. <laughs> yeah. And moving to the final questions. Uh, I mean, you've worked hard to where you are now, um, especially running and the coaching side um, and from the outside looking in, people will probably have a preconceived idea of who they think you are based on maybe what they see on Instagram or, you know, on YouTube. Uh, but put that to one side, uh, when you're looking at yourself in a mirror, I mean, what do you see or who do you see looking back at you? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I see... I see someone who is still trying to figure it out, um, but who's enjoying the journey and somebody who enjoys the process and journey more than the destination, I think, um, and figuring out the pieces to the puzzle. Um, so, and also somebody who cares a lot about running, but also cares a lot about her family and um both her team family um that she coaches and her immediate family and i think that's probably the biggest thing that covid has helped me realize what's important is the people in your life um who support you um and help you through the hard times do you know i found myself nodding to what you're saying and i realized you can't actually see me nodding because we're recording a podcast <laughs> Well, they were great answers, though. I completely agree with them. So uh, that, that was fantastic. <laughs> um, if you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Oh. Hmm. To start doing marathons earlier, because you're going to love them. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to need more time to figure them out. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's a time aspect, isn't it? Yeah, so yes. there's something we sort of learn as we, we're into it. Um, and what is one non-negotiable behavior, habit, or even superstition that you do daily? Oh, 
you know, I heard somebody on one of your recent ones say drink coffee. And I was like, Oh, me too. I cannot go a single day without drinking coffee. But you said a lot of people say that. So I was like, what else do I do every day? And I go for a run almost every day. I run six days a week. So I do have one rest day, but I would say, think about running. I always think about running every day. <laughs> yeah. I could completely relate to that. I said something really stupid to my wife today. I was like, Oh, I'm about to go for a run. And she's like, you go for a run every day. <laughs> Why are you telling me this? <laughs> she's like, I know, I know, bye. <laughs> I know. But you know when it comes out your mouth, you're like, oh, that was so stupid, I can't take it back now. <laughs> it's out there. Um, yeah, same sort of thing, I can relate that. There's, there's some sort of thought towards running, training, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and what's the biggest lesson that running has taught you? Oh, running has taught me so much um, that it's okay to be uncomfortable, that that's like where you grow um, and to kind of sit with that stuff that makes you uncomfortable because that's where you're going to grow the most. Jessica, it's been uh, great talking to you and where can people follow your journey online? Yes, uh, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at Sugar Runs and on YouTube at Sugar Runs or SugarRuns.com. It's going to sound like a stupid question, obviously Sugar Runs, but can you explain the rationale behind the name? <laughs> well, when I first started running, I really, I mean, I've always had a sweet tooth, but I really ran so I could eat whatever I wanted, um, which we know as we age, that doesn't really work. Um, or if we want to get faster, that's not really, you can't fuel yourself with donuts all the time. Um, but that was how I came up with the name. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, we've, we've, yeah, we've tried it, but it doesn't work. You know, no. I completely agree with that. <laughs> it's been great talking to you. Thanks for being a guest on the Runners Life podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having Mar me, Marcus. It was great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Runner's Life. If you found value in this episode and want to support the show, please share with your community, post on your social media channels and encourage them to listen and subscribe. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash a runner's life. If you want to get in touch with me or see what I'm up to, you can follow me on my Instagram page at themarathonmarcus. Your time is valuable, so thank you for spending your time listening to this episode of a Runner's Life podcast.